Good morning. We continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6 this morning, verses 14 to 17. Some of you walked in today defeated. You want to give up. Life is just too hard. And you say, Jesus, please, please come back for your church today. Amen? Okay, well, a few of you believe that. And if that's the case, I'm glad you have come. You've still decided to come to church this morning. Many of you aren't there this morning. But you know that feeling, amen? You know that feeling of discouragement and defeat and all that that entails. We've all been there at one point. We've all wanted to resign. We wanted to just go home to heaven. We have failed ourselves. We have failed others. And at times we have failed God. We admit we've listened to the enemy and we have done his bidding. We have failed to obey God. And I remember those times in my own life I have felt so defeated. We have played with sin and we have been burned badly over the years. Here's reality. Each of us are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Here's the problem. I I can't see the enemy coming. I can't see him attacking me. I can't see as he strikes a blow at me. I can't see any of it. And yet, with all of that, I think I can battle him in my flesh. Foolishness. But as I've talked to you over the years, some of you are just as foolish as I am. Amen? We think we can do it. We think we can outsmart the enemy of our souls who has been practicing this kind of deceit for for millions of people over thousands of years. We think we can do it with our finite minds and our human strength, and we are in such great peril because his goals are to deceive each one of us so that ultimately He can destroy us. We are in a life and death battle. And some of us in this process are just yawning at this point. We have become lazy about our walk with Jesus. We have failed to prepare for the battle that we are in. 
And spiritual battles require spiritual resources. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. And we need to learn how to accept God's protection for us that he provides in Jesus Christ. We need to put on the whole armor of God. And we need to do that by taking the benefits of the gospel and begin to use them in each of our lives. Matter of fact, we need to learn how to preach. But listen carefully. We need to learn how to preach to ourselves. Not to anyone else. We need to learn the truths of God's Word, and as we are in the midst of the battle, we need to remind ourselves, Brian, don't forget, you're a child of the King. That Christ has died and been resurrected to give me new life, to give me a spiritual life with resources to deal with the battle. Brian, don't forget. And your preaching to yourself has to be at times just as pointed. Preaching truth to yourself. Now what's the context? We are in the last major section of our studies in the book of Ephesians. Paul has commanded us to stand in the battle. And even though Satan has multiple, many multiple strategies to take us down, we have looked at why we need the armor. We have looked at the effects of wearing the armor. We have looked at our problems and why we don't use it. Let's look at the passage, Ephesians 6, 14 to 17, page 1245, there in the Pew Bible. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We will end the reading right there. There's a lot there. As a matter of fact, starting in verse 14 and going all the way through verse 20 is, again, one of those long sentences that Paul has written, this run-on sentence. matter of fact, this is the eighth long sentence and the final one in the book of Ephesians. But we're only going to look at 14 through 17 today. And he starts off in verse 14, stand. Stand. Now, as you think about what we have already studied in verses 10 through 13, he has said stand in four times in four verses. In verse 11, that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, there are two uses withstand and standing firm and now in verse 14 
stand. Do you think he's trying to tell you something? What, what do you think he's trying to tell you? Stand. I mean, it's that obvious. And I think due to this repetition in such a short section of the Scriptures, he is giving us a sense of urgency of what we are to do. But secondly, he says you're in a fight. Stand. Sometimes I'm a little slow. And as I was preparing this message... I said to myself, why is Paul saying this so much? And here's what I realized. How can I fight from this position? <laughs> you think that's funny. But how many of us, when we are being attacked by the enemy, are not in the fetal position of the floor saying, stop hitting me? And Paul said, if you want to be in battle, you have to stand. Does that make sense? If you are going to hit any blows back, if you're going to defend yourself or become at all offensive, you must be on your feet. Stand. But how many of us are curled up hoping he stops kicking us hoping he just will leave us alone because on the ground in the fetal position I'm in the position of defeat and Paul says get up Stand. If there's nothing else you take away this morning, that one word, you have to stand. When the, when the stroke gets too big and you want to run away, Paul says, stand. And God's going to bring resources to you as you stand to deal with it at that moment. So let's look at our God-provided arsenal. He knows our battle. He is not going to send us into battle unprotected. And as we have already seen in the last passage, this is called the armor of God. It is His armor. Matter of fact, one author said, nuclear wars cannot be won with rifles. Likewise, satanic wars cannot be won by human energy. Duh. Makes total sense. But we still fall into that. Now, what's the timing of this? When do you put on your armor? When do you put on your armor to go into battle against a formidable enemy? 
What's the answer? Before you ever go into battle. Before you go in. Some of you have been caught with your spiritual pants down. And you are saying to the enemy, excuse me, excuse me. Let me slip into something more appropriate for the fight. And if that is your thought, it's too late. You are doomed to either playing catch-up at best, or you have given up the fight before it even begins. Put on the armor before you go into battle. It's obvious, but we forget. See, it's not wise to go into battle unprotected. We know that. But I think what we lack is a sense of need for protection, which is related to our understanding of how strong the spiritual forces are around us. I don't think we understand the the layers of protection that is needed in dangerous situations. So what I did was I visited a firehouse and I have asked a firefighter to show us his armor, his suit, his protection, what he needs to fight a fire. And while I was there, I took my video camera and he described it for us. So let's watch this morning. You're on. All right. So my name's Jim. I'm a firefighter. And I'm going to be putting on all of my equipment or armor, as you may want to call it. And I'll be describing what each piece do. This is our hood. It's going to protect our ears. These are what we call our bunker pants. There's going to be boots in here and then big pants. These are going to protect my legs and my waist from all the elements. Now I'm going to put on my coat. It's going to protect my arms and the rest of my upper body. conditions. Put on my mask. This is going to connect to my air pack to allow me to breathe and communicate with other people.
This is my helmet. It's going to protect my head. Anything else? Now my hood is protecting my ears. necessary. Thank you, Jim. Every piece is necessary. Why do we not operate the same way? Why do we go into spiritual battles with pieces of our armor missing? Purposefully missing. We don't suit up. We don't deal with this. So he's going to now talk about the six pieces of armor that are there in the text. And as we look at these pieces, just like he put on his suit, the first is the belt of truth. The order in which it's put on is the order in which it all fits together. The first is found in verse 14. Having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt of truth holds everything together. The belt of truth allows the warrior to move freely because the belt of truth is holding everything together. Here's reality, though. Truth is scarce these days. Amen? Truth is scarce. And as we go through each of these six pieces of the armor of God, what I realize, there are three parts to it. One, what is Satan's attack? What does God provide? What, what should we appreciate what is it that who we have become because of what God has provided? And thirdly, how then should I live in light of this piece of armor? And that's true for all six pieces. I did not duplicate that in your outline so you would have space to write a few things. The belt of truth. What is Satan's attack? Satan is a liar and deceiver. Satan is constantly twisting the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God. 
He wants to provide for us a subjective standard. What do I mean by that? Where everyone decides what is right for them. Not objective truth, subjective truth. What has God provided? God has provided for us an objective standard. An objective set of truths. Jesus Christ is truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's God's word is truth. John 17, 17. God's character himself, true and faithful, never changing. And matter of fact, in 3 John 4, it allows us to now be able to walk in truth. How then should we live? I must embrace truth. Now, Understand, I don't determine truth. My sin nature doesn't determine truth. Our feelings and desires don't determine truth. Our culture does not determine truth. Amen? Only God determines truth. And with that being the case... We are to live truth. We are to live lives of integrity with our lives matching up with truth. And when we do that, we will have a clear conscience. And anyone knows that when you have a clear conscience, you can face any enemy without fear. Amen? When my life is one of integrity... What I say is what I do is what I believe. There's there's oneness in the process. I don't care what the enemy throws at me. I need to live truth. Second piece of the armor is found also in verse 14. After you put on the belt of truth, you fasten it on. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness covers the back and the front. The breastplate covers vital organs of the chest, including the heart. The breastplate of righteousness covers from your neck down to your thighs. What is Satan's attack? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is a tempter. He brings into question a person's righteous standing before God. And he tempts us to feel personal condemnation. Have you been there? Yes, we all have. You've heard the onslaughts of the enemy. What has God provided? God has credited to our personal account the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That 
theological term is called imputation. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, if you want to jot that down. And God, now think about this, God who determines truth declares us innocent, which he grants freely to those of us who have become his children by faith. So how am I to live? I have been already declared righteous. And if I have been declared righteous by the sovereign of the universe, that I should begin to live that way. Live rightly. Live righteously. And I should allow the sanctifying work of the Spirit to change me from the inside out, which in turn guards my heart against the accusations of Satan. Are we perfect yet? In practice, are we perfect yet? No. But how does God view us? As righteous as His very Son. So Paul says, live up to it. See, a righteous life allows believers to confront and expose evil for what it is. The breastplate of righteousness. Third, verse 15, the shoes of peace. And as shoes for your feet, putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes are used for standing. Shoes provide our stability, our sure-footedness. Matter of fact, in Roman times, their shoes were, were well known because their armies could march twice as far, faster than other armies, because they had shoes that fit them. And also, often they nailed on the bottom of their shoes hobnails, which gave them added traction. It would be like present-day cleats in the bottom of their shoes. They gripped, well, reliable footwear. Now, what is Satan's attack? Satan is the destroyer of peace between man and God. Satan is the sower of discord within the church. How can I get people to be at a lack of peace with one another? He wins. What has God provided? a readiness, a a preparation to enter the battle because we know, now we know we have peace with God. Now think about it. If there is no longer enmity between me and God and I'm at peace with the Creator of the universe, what can I not face? God is is fighting on our side. He has given us His armor. So how are we to live? 
in the midst of turmoil, we can experience peace from God. Amen? We've all done that. Our lives are falling apart because of the situations we are in, and we're saying, wow, God, your grace is sufficient. How do you do that? See, we need not stumble when the enemy attacks. Whether he attacks through your family, through your work, through your church, or through your life. One author said, when a soldier is convinced that he cannot lose and goes into battle at peace with himself and with his fellow soldiers, he is much less vulnerable than he might otherwise be. You have peace with God that allows you to stand. Fourth piece, the shield of faith. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now it's amazing, they had a number of different shields during this time in the Roman army. But Paul uses a specific word in this place to describe the shield. And I looked around my house for some kind of spare piece of whatever, and this was about the size of the shield... So think a 30-inch door, about four foot high. This is what they carried into battle. Often covered with linen or leather. And you're saying, well, what's that going to do? Well, let me tell you what it does. They would soak this before they went into battle. And so when the flaming arrows came and hit the shield the moisture in the leather or the linen would extinguish the arrow. It was often banded in some kind of metal, and often some of them were made to interlock, and so could you imagine a wall of shields coming up against you as an army? Impenetrable. Shield of Faith. What is Satan's attack? Flaming darts. These are especially dangerous. Satan in this attack creates doubts about God and his love. He leads us through these attacks to distrust God, which is called a lack of Faith. Amen? Lack of faith. In that process, he also produces a distress of mind. What has God provided? God has provided his faithfulness and his complete trustworthiness. His goodness, now think about this, His goodness is for us, not against us. And the enemy wants you to forget that. 
What's God doing now? His timing just stinks in my life. I really want this now. Oh, the whiners are here today. Don't you hear yourself? Put a different pitch to it. The enemy wants you to think that way. See, this piece called the shield of faith cancels out the most dangerous weapon and it extinguishes them. Why do I say it's the most dangerous? Because these arrows are aimed right at you. Not general warfare, right at you. How are we to live? We are to live with full confidence and trust in God himself. We are to live in active trust and independence upon Christ. We are called to trust God in the midst of our circumstances. Amen? What happens when it doesn't look like it's going to work out? God's not done yet. His goodness is perfect. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His goodness endures next week. Well, we only can see a week in advance and we think after that it might fall off. No, that's not, that's not truth. His goodness lasts forever. You've got to preach to yourself. Don't forget, this is our God. Fifth piece of the armor found in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Why? A blow to the head could be fatal. And helmets protect both our head, but also it protects our thoughts. What is Satan's attack? The real battle is in our minds. It's not on the battlefield because the battlefield is right here. Satan desires to corrupt and confuse our thinking about God and His character. Genesis 3. Did God really say this, Eve? Did you just mishear that? Is God holding out? Is He really not as good as you've been led to believe? Those are direct assaults on your thinking. What has God provided? This is the helmet of salvation. What has God provided? The settled assurance that one is truly saved and cannot be eternally harmed by Satan. The settled assurance that one is truly saved and cannot be eternally harmed by Satan. This is a strong 
helmet for the head. When I'm in the midst of spiritual battle, I wonder, can I lose it? The answer is no. So how are we to live in battle? We have a mental choice to make. Namely, am I going to trust in God or am I going to trust in myself? Am I going to trust in God and be obedient to Him or am I going to trust in myself and follow my own will? And when I express my confidence in God, my thinking is protected. God, I'm leaving it up to You. I'm trusting You. You're going to pull this off. You have what's best for me. You hear me preaching to myself? We all need to do that. God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in this situation. The last piece is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 17. Again, there are different words for swords back in this period. And Paul uses again a very specific word. And this is a short, two-edged sword. It's almost more like a big knife. Both edges honed. It was designed for close-in fighting, for hand-to-hand combat. It can become an offensive weapon, but often it's just to move the enemy out of my way. Satan's attack, he gets into hand-to-hand combat with us spiritually. Remember, we already looked at that. We wrestle with him. And as we're doing that, he wants us to forget the truths of God. Get stuck in your own circumstances. Rely upon your own strength. Trust yourself. That's the enemy's strategy. What has God provided? God has provided His truth written down for us. Now it's very interesting the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The normal word in the Greek for God's written Word is logos. Paul doesn't use that word here. He uses the word rhema. The spoken Word. Now, do we need the written Word of God? You better believe it. But what Paul is saying, when I'm in a battle, I need to come up with the appropriate Scripture spoken, put into use at that moment. But when I'm in temptation, what do I need to say sometimes out loud as I'm preaching to myself? That's wrong. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy himself. Jesus then replied, It is written. And then he quoted Old Testament 
scriptures. That is the spoken word. Now, why is that so important? Do you think the enemy of your soul knows the Word of God? Yes or no? Yes. He knows it better than we do. He can quote us chapter and verse day in and day out. Then what's so important about the spoken Word? Because as God brings to thinking and to mind a, a a verse that will give us strength and hope in a situation, and all of a sudden we bring it to mind and we speak it out. The enemy cannot stand that because you are applying God's written word to this situation, and that's called application. The spoken word. How are we to live? If a believer is to stand, he must know the Word of God. That's the written Word of God. I must know the Word of God. But secondly, I must apply the Word of God. And that is the spoken Word. As you are preaching to yourself, Brian, that's not holy. Don't go down that path in your thinking. Don't do that activity. That doesn't reflect the holiness of God in your life. Ooh. See, that's applying the Word. I thought it was so interesting as I thought about this sharp sword called the Word of God. A material sword pierces the body. The Word of God pierces the heart. The more I use a physical sword, the duller it becomes. But by using God's Word, it only makes it sharper in my life. A physical sword wounds to hurt and kill. But the Spirit's sword... Wounds to heal and to give life. Learn how to use that sword. What does this mean for us? It's time to recommit to take our spiritual lives seriously. It's time to stop playing and to start training for the inevitable battles that we are going to find ourselves in in the days to come. Do you use all the whole armor of God? The belt of truth. Are you living the truth of God's Word? Is your life one of integrity or do you have secret sins that you hope no one will find out about? It's time to put on the belt of truth and to act that way. How about the breastplate of righteousness? How is sanctification, becoming more holy like God, growing in your life? Or has your holiness been compromised 
by your actions, by your thought life, by your attitude. The shoes of peace. Is your life one of peace or worry? Do you bring peace to others or do you tend to stir the pot? I love the drama. Let's stir it one more time. How about the shield of faith? How do you respond to the difficulties of life? Do you allow the flaming darts to find their mark? Or do you hold fast to God's promises for you? And if you don't know the promises, you have to learn them. The helmet of salvation? Do you have full assurance of your saving faith that God has provided? Or the question is this morning, are you even saved? Is salvation part of your experience? And maybe this morning you realize, I'm, I don't know if I have assurance of salvation. Then this morning, place your faith in Christ as your Savior from sin. We all are sinners. We all do things that we're not proud of. Any one of those keeps us from God. But the death of Christ paid the price, satisfied the Father, so that we could spend eternity with Him. Trust Christ today. Make Him your Savior. The sword of the Spirit. How well do you know the Word of God? Do you just study the Bible and read it on a regular basis to have warm feelings and to feel comfortable and say, oh, that is, just feels like a nice warm cotton blanket today, doesn't it? Or do you understand and study the Word of God to be ready for battle? When Satan will attack with unseen, and do I have my sword out ready to stand my ground with, with the spoken word of God that is appropriate for that temptation and that situation? And if you don't have those verses, you need to find some. You need to add more to your arsenal. I didn't tell you when we saw the fireman put on his uniform as I talked more with him and with his boss, what is the life expectancy of one of those uniforms? I was wrong. I thought 10 years. They said, no, seven. Seven years. They had to replace all those pieces at least every seven years. Some of you have been coasting for seven years. It's time to get back into the Word and to say, what do I need to deal with the battle? Why do I need to apply this? We are losing the battle at times. 
We are losing the battle because of the weakness and lack of preparation by others in the body of Christ. And I need each of us to be ready for battle. As I said last week, the strongest chain is only as strong as the weakest link. The strongest church is only as strong as its weakest member. And we will always have weak members with us because we're always bringing people in. But it falls to us to how do I get stronger so I can cover the weakness of others. That's our challenge. Put on the armor. Put on the armor and stand. Let's pray.